Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is Sunburnt Series time. And you know what that means. Get out a sunblock and uh, get prepared for one hour in the sun because it is going to be a great hour. Uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and I always look forward to this time together during the week, and we are going to host today Dr. Rebecca Ree. And Peter, I have to say that we're asking Rebecca uh, to do one of those polar plunges, you know, like in the winter where you jump into the lake. <laughs> it's completely crazy because... Rebecca is an Old Testament scholar and a Hebrew scholar, and we're asking her to jump into the New Testament today, and she's going to talk about Mark 9, and it's going to be amazing. Well, and especially because with the New Testament being written in the Greek, it's it's a wholly different language than uh, than the Hebrew. And so much of her work in the past when we've had her on has just been fascinating to, to hear her get into the story in the Hebrew language. And so I'm really curious how the Greek is going to sound. Well, let's yeah. let's remind everyone— uh, before we bring Re- Rebecca on, even though I can tell she's dying to get on, is, <laughs> is, is Peter, when uh, when Rebecca teaches uh, from the Old Testament, she reads in Hebrew. Which, which is amazing. I, I'm pretty sure if Hebrew is on my page right now, I wouldn't be able to recognize it entirely. And she yeah. can just read it, yeah. from, even from right to left, right? Yeah. That's the other part, is, it's, is you're reading the opposite direction than you would English. It's Correct. incredible. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, our guest is Dr. Rebecca Ree, and she is, in fact, a Hebrew scholar and has a very interesting past uh, in her education and her pursuits. And you can learn more about her at RebeccaRee.net, and she spells her last name R-H-E-E, RebeccaRee.net. And she's been on our uh, Old Testament series a number of times, and every time she's on, Peter, I know I walk away going, I have learned so much. Yeah, I, I missed the last one, unfortunately, but you were texting me during it. I think I was actually teaching a class while we were recording with her, and you're saying, you've got to get over here. It was remarkable, and, and it really Well, was. I wasn't texting during the hour because I was paying attention to Rebecca. But I was, yes, of During course. the commercials, I was, <laughs> yes, during the course. breaks, I was texting Sorry, you. I misspoke yeah. there. Yeah, yes, you did indeed. misspeak. But anyway, Rebecca, so glad to have you, and I can't wait to jump into Mark chapter 9 and help me with my unbelief. Yes. Thank you so much for having me back, and thanks for taking a chance on me with this. Oh, that's a no-brainer. That's so easy to do. We we trust you, and we love you. Oh, well, thank you. I couldn't receive a warmer welcome. So um, today we'll be looking at a New Testament story about a special needs boy with a terrible affliction and the father who is tasked with the overwhelming responsibility of taking care of him. And if ever there were a story in the Bible about the high cost of love as we struggle with long-term problems, long-term problems this is it. Now, you know, you've known from my, my um, last interviews with you on my blog that my long-term issue is raising a son who has autism, and he's going to hit his 10th birthday, which feels like such a milestone in our home. We're, we're so grateful for that. But I want to assure um, the listeners out there that you do not need to be a special needs parent to get something from this story. All you need to know 
is how it feels to be burnt out and very aware that you can't make it on your own. That's the only requirements. And I think most of us will qualify. So um, let's go ahead and read the story, which is found in Mark 9. And to provide a little bit of context, Jesus has just shown Peter, James, and John a glimpse of his divinity on a mountaintop. And that experience is known as the transfiguration. It's like he pulls back the curtain and they get to see um, something special about him that not the other disciples don't. But as often happens in human experience, um, something sublime often ex- immediately rams up against the problem. And as soon as they all come down from this um, heady experience, they walk right into a fight between Jesus' other disciples and the religious leaders of the day. So let's pick up in the text, um, um, Mark 9, verse 16, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Um, and he, Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he, Jesus answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, to you, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became much like a corpse, so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately Why is it that we could not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So I've read this story over and over, and I have a confession to make. Um, There were three points that I kept stumbling over again and again regarding how Jesus was handling the situation. Um, my experience as a special needs parent was actually causing me to stumble over these three points. And I'd like to share those with you because what I've learned is I've become a reader of the Bible um, in original languages and, you know, just comparing with other literatures of the world. It's unlike any other book because as you press into those stumbling block places, those, those hard spots, you're greatly rewarded. Like the Bible can take it, you know, anything that you want to, any question you want to come to it, the, the, the instinct that, that has to, to be developed in us is to press in 
not to pull away. So as I pressed into these points, the text opened up to me as only the Bible can when we pursue its deeper meanings. So I would like to start with that first stumbling block. And the first place I started feeling uncomfortable was how Jesus reacts to his disciples' failure to cast out the boy's demon. So the father reports that the demon that has stolen his son's voice also overcomes him with what we would probably call like an acute epileptic seizure. It's like the evil spirit renders the boy more of a wild beast than a human being. Now, my son has neither epilepsy nor an evil spirit, but I can tell you that he has had some mother of all meltdowns um, where it feels like something totally overtakes the sweet boy that I know and love. And so I bear a lot of sympathy for those disciples who have this horrible affliction just foisted on them in front of an audience and they have to resolve it on the spot. And my instinct is to go easy on them for failing, Um, but not Jesus. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? So to be totally honest, this statement seems overly harsh to me. So I went hunting for some backstory, some context, and I asked myself, what exactly had the disciples seen Jesus do up to this point? And the answer to that question is quite a lot. So Jesus had, up to this point, Jesus had driven out many unclean spirits, including a legion of them that had possessed a wild man. He'd healed many people of many kinds of diseases, fever, leprosy, paralysis, hemorrhaging, just to name a few. He'd resurrected a dead child. He had walked on water and stilled the stormy sea. And he had multiplied food for thousands of people on more than one occasion. So, and that's not to mention all the authoritative teaching that he had done both publicly and for the disciples privately. So the disciples have enjoyed a front row, hands-on apprentice with Jesus over time. And Jesus seems to expect that their belief bank account should cover this current expense. Um, And so I guess part of my discomfort is that I have witnessed a ton of miracles in my life as well. And sometimes when crisis hits, it's like I get this, I don't know what you want to call it, like a spiritual amnesia. And all of a sudden, I lose all hope and all belief concerning the situation that's before me. And special needs parents um, especially know about this because there's always some new problem to face with your child, just as you're crawling out of the hole of your last problem developmentally. So, like, for example, maybe your kid finally finally gets potty trained, but now your kid has started freaking out about haircuts and elevators. Um, The world can be a loud, crowded, overwhelming place for an autistic child with sensory issues, and parents never know when some new phobia is going to crop up. So is this just a matter of Jesus being fed up with his disciples' imperfect faith, or is something more going on? And the only way I could answer this question is kind of autobiographically is by describing a challenge that we are currently facing in our own household. And right now, my son is going through an incredibly um, anxious 
uh, season. It's almost like when he was much younger as a toddler. And um, I think the psychological term for this is um, object permanence. The, the kids get, if they don't see mom, then mom doesn't exist. So they get very um, anxious and they need to always know where mom is. And so whenever my husband and I leave the room or we go to a different part of the house, my, my son gets very, very upset. And again, it's like having a toddler all over again. And so when I hear him yelling for me from another part of the house, I too get exasperated. You know, I want to say to him, listen, kiddo, when have I ever abandoned you? You know, mama pours out her life for you all day, every day, so that you will have everything that you need. Do the past 10 years mean nothing to you? And I think that is part of what's at the heart of Jesus's apparent harshness. Because remember, the disciples haven't become part of Jesus's inner circle randomly. Each was called personally by name. And not only that, but earlier in Mark 6, we learn that Jesus explicitly endows the disciples with authority over evil spirits. So in other words, Jesus has been deeply investing in them from the very beginning, pouring himself into them as much or even more than he has been pouring himself into the crowds who follow him. So good. Rebecca, we're going to take just our first break, uh, but I I can hardly wait because your content's amazing and we're anxious to get back to it. But you're listening to the Sunburnt Series with Dr. Peter Kapsner and I. Our, Our guest today is Dr. Rebecca Ree. You can always learn more about Rebecca at RebeccaRee.net. She has an amazing blog and lots of uh, things that you can learn about at RebeccaRee.net. We'll be right back. happy sunshine kind of music and <laughs> it is the sunburnt series so the sun is out and we're shining the light on god's word with dr rebecca Ree. we're looking at mark chapter nine today help me with my unbelief great start rebecca peter and i are loving this well um, i'd like to continue on with that idea of jesus being exasperated with his disciples because he is so deeply invested in them perfect and he really wants to see the fruit of that investment Um, surfacing in them and and taking um, action in them. So there's something deeply comforting about that notion of investment. Um, And from personal experience, I can tell you that no matter how irked and exhausted I get with my son, I am never going to stop pursuing him with all that I am. I will never leave him to his own faulty devices. And indeed, we see this is true about Jesus because he doesn't seem to stay mad at the disciples, but rather um, explains why they have failed and why he has succeeded at the end of the passage. He says, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. And, you know, that got me thinking, too, because I was always taught that what Jesus was saying by that was, Get up early in the morning by, like I do and pray for every contingency that might happen that day. Um, and there might be some you know, truth and wisdom to that. But um, 
as a special needs parent, there's just no way you can get up and pray. There's always some, some kind of, you know, deficit or delay or problem that you're going to run into that you couldn't have foreseen. And um, I think there's more that Jesus may be saying than just get up early and try to pray, pray, pray yourself up for the day. I think he might've been saying, look, the moment you ran into trouble with the boy, you should have stopped and prayed. You know, you should have confessed that you were coming up short and asked God for help rather than just pushing on. Um, And um, I find that very comforting because as much as I'd like to cover all the bases in prayer before I start my day, that there's no way that's going to happen. So uh, the idea of whispering under my breath when I'm hitting a brick wall really encourages me. It lets me know that Jesus is willing to step into my defective faith no matter what's unfolding. So as to stumbling block number one, if you're feeling spiritually weak and tired, just know that God is deeply invested in you and that there's always another chance with the son he sent to embody that investment. I love that. That is awesome. Thank you for that, Rebecca. You're welcome. And so let's go on to stumbling block number two. So then stumbling block number two is not Jesus, Jesus' apparent harshness, but his apparent insensitivity to the extremity of the moment. Now, what do I mean by that? So after rebuking the disciples for their unbelief, Jesus orders the boy brought to him. And then verse 20 says, and when he, the boy, saw him, Jesus, the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. You know, so here we have it. This is proof that something more is going on than just some um, physical condition. The very sight of Jesus makes the demon go crazy. Now, I can tell you as a special needs parent, whenever my son has melted down or gone crazy, part of me has gone into panic mode, especially when it's going on in public. And you want help for those serious attacks and you want it now. And I can guarantee you that that father was conditioned to leap into action at this point and desperately wanted Jesus to do something about the affliction that had manifested. But rather than lay hands on the boy or speak authoritatively, what do we find Jesus doing? He's talking. He's taking notes. He's asking a question. He's seemingly taking his own sweet time. How long has this been happening to him? He asked the father. And the long-suffering parent in me wants to exclaim, does it really matter, Jesus? I mean, can't you heal it all the same? Can't you see that this poor man can't take it anymore, much less his son? And what happens next shows me that not only does Jesus see what's going on in front of him, he sees what's going on beneath. The evil spirit in the son has come to the surface, but now it's time to unearth what's inside the father. Jesus' slow probing provokes a twofold response from the dad. So first, Jesus gets more information from the dad. The boy's condition isn't just torturous, it's life-threatening. And it's been going on from when the boy was little. So the demon throws the boy into the fire and into the water trying to kill him. 
So the level of hypervigilance that this dad has had to maintain is absolutely mind boggling. Um, And second, the dad is in total, total burnout mode. I mean, he's probably been seeking help for his boy for years and the disciples current failure just now Hmm. probably just dashed his hopes. So he says, if you can do anything take pity on us and help us. Now note that the father's request for full healing has now been whittled down to a partial plea. You know, if you can do anything and also note the plural here, take pity on us, help us, you know, and this is the confession I think that Jesus is after with his, you know, asking questions and, taking his time with, you know, taking action. Behind every special needs kid, there is a special needs parent who has been raked over the coals right alongside their child. And I want to say this for anyone who's taken care. It's not just special needs parents. Anyone who's walked alongside a long-term sufferer has suffered too and needs ministry just as much as the person needs ministry. And notably, Jesus isn't just satisfied with, you know, this ice-breaking confession. He wants more, and he gets it by making another delaying statement, all while the boy is still writhing on the floor like an animal. So Jesus throws the father's words right back at him. Again, he's delaying things again. If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And again, I'm like, really, Jesus, is now the best teachable moment? Like, can't you heal the kid first and then take the father aside for a nice little talk about the finer points of faith? But I think Jesus knows that there's something dangerous and self-injurious lurking inside of the father, just like the son. And I think he knows it must be dealt with immediately. And For the father, as if his soul has just been like lanced open with a scalpel, he immediately cries out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now, this is where I'm going to go into the Greek at this this point, okay? So if you look at the father's word for unbelief, apistia, it comes from the same word that Jesus uses in his rebuke to the disciples, oh, unbelieving generation, apistos. So it's the same key word. And I think the writer wants you to hear that echo on purpose. And that makes you wonder, well, why does the father's unbelief go unrebuked by Jesus, whereas the disciples were were chastised for their unbelief? Mm. And I think it's mainly because the father's confession of belief serves as a, as a beginning point, as an opening, an aperture. That's mm-hmm. what I want to say, an aperture, not just an endpoint for a miracle to happen. There's other places in the Gospels where um, Jesus can't do much, and he'll go to a town, and he can't do much yeah. because, there's, uh, because of their unbelief, mm-hmm. like his own, his own hometown. He couldn't do very much. Yeah. Rebecca, I hate to put the brakes on here, but we do have to go to a hard break. And I want to go back and revisit some of the Greek. Uh, You're listening to the Sunbird Series, our special guest, Dr. Rebecca Ree. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have Dr. Rebecca Ree with us today on our Sunburnt series. So we're out in the sun today getting a full hour of teaching on Mark chapter 9. And Rebecca and Peter, before the break, we were chatting a little bit about the Greek of, of the word unbelief. Would you repeat the Greek word again for unbelief? Yes. So when um, the Father says, help my unbelief, it's apistia. And when Jesus says, oh, unbelieving generation, it's apistos. But you can hear the same, it's the same key word, mm-hmm. same, deriving from the same root. And again, we were asking, the, the, the writer obviously wants you to hear that echo in the narrative and make you ask, well, why is the father's unbelief go unrebuked, whereas the disciples' uh, unbelief is, is harshly uh, chastised by Jesus? And um, we were talking about that the father's unbelief is actually a beginning point for a miracle to happen rather than um, a, a, a place where um, miracles are blocked. And one of the reasons why I think that's true is the father uses a critical word in his cry of unbelief, which is help. And I believe when uttered sincerely, I don't think the help prayer is a prayer that Jesus ever ignores, ever. Um, think of the two thieves crucified on other, the other, either side of Jesus in, in Luke. One angrily demands, you know, help from Jesus. He says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one who knows he's led a sinful life just says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, today you shall be with me in paradise. So help us, remember us. These are God's gifts of intercession to the special needs parent or any sufferer who has reached the end of their rope and can literally say no more. Help me, remember me. And thank God that God needs no more than this. You know, having come to the perfect moment, having laid all the proper groundwork, Jesus says to the thrashing demon, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. Now we're going to take another peek at the Greek, which I found extremely illuminating here. And so in the Greek, when he says, I command you, it's ego epitasso. So ego is I, epitasso is command. And in Greek, you um, just if Jesus had just said epitasso, that's a first person singular verb. So anybody just hearing epitasso would have heard I command. But in Greek, when you attach the personal pronoun ego, I, all of a sudden it raises this phrase in a level of emphasis. I, I command you because when you have a repetition, you have the first the, the personal pronoun I, and then you have the personal pronoun again attached to the verb inside that verb. So that conjugation of that verb echoes the first person pronoun again. I, I command you. One of the um, translations I looked at, the New American Standard, 
translated as it, this, this uh, phrase as I myself command you. Um, so something really emphatic is going on here as Jesus is speaking because he says it in a very specific way. And that leads me to my third stumbling block of the story, which is this question. If Jesus himself, not his disciples, but himself, is driving out the evil spirit, why is the process so grisly? I mean, the text tells us after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up and he got up. Now, my question is, why did it have to come to this? Why did this poor boy have to suffer this final indignity and pain before the demon left? Why did he have to pass through a death-like experience to come back to life? And, you know, boy, aren't these the questions? Aren't these the same questions that we ask as special needs parents or long-term sufferers, strugglers? You know, God, we're looking to you in faith, however imperfect. We have done all that we, have, we can to come to you with this issue. Why does it have to be so hard? And one question I personally have asked during different seasons of my life has been, why do I so often have to be driven to the very hilt of my strength before it gets better? Oh. Why? <clears throat> And I wish I could say that after 10 years of raising my boy and after decades of actually, you know, working on inner healing in my own life, um, that I had an answer for that. Um, sometimes I feel like we have to go through death before we come out alive. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of my child, death of certain hopes and dreams for him, death of certain expectations of how I thought, you know, things would be for him. And that is so, so hard. But if I can offer one truth, that kind of summarizes all that we've been looking at here today, it would be this. God is not always interested in the fastest result. He is interested in the fullest result. And the fullest result often takes time and a relinquishing of our wills for God's will, even when we don't understand it. And two things um, from the story tell me this. First, um, not only does Jesus address the evil spirit authoritatively, he does so like surgically, like specifically, you know, before the father reported only that the spirit made his boy mute now so that there's no squirming out of the exorcism. Jesus basically says, yes, you deaf and dumb demon. So he has two aspects of what the demon do does. Whereas the father only mentioned one. He says, yes, you, deaf and dumb de demon, I'm talking to you. I see you for exactly what you are. And second, Jesus gets just as specific on the back end of his command as he did on the front. He says, come out of him and do not enter him again. And I love that Jesus forbids the demon to re-enter the boy it's like we're seeing some of the fruit of that earlier probing that Jesus was doing. 
He knows that the demon has been causing suffering for so many years, and he's not going to allow even an ounce of it back any longer. So Jesus is as thorough as thorough can be, and that is why the demon's departure is so drastic. I think it's like its tentacles go so deep inside that pulling them out was going to take a show of power that would reverberate throughout that boy's entire being. And I see a little bit of this in my own experience. Like autism has a really strong grip on my son, and the process of loosening that grip is really grueling and arduous and relentless sometimes. And, you know, sometimes we see some nasty reactions surface as we work to free him from a life with no voice and self-destructive patterns. Um, you know, he, since he often has uh, responses like a toddler, if he can't say protest with words, he might spit it. He's got this perfect little gap between his two front teeth to spit like a llama at you. <laughs> <laughs> but you might see something kind of ugly and nasty like that um, because he doesn't have any other recourse. Do you know what I mean? So we often see some things come surface in him as we're trying to give him a voice and tell him, you know, you don't protest that way. You protest this way. Or there's always something we're always trying to, we are also always grappling with autism and autism doesn't get tired and autism doesn't care how the parent feels. Um, or, you know, it's, it's just a, a nonstop fight. So in the end, I don't know why the struggle for healing has to be so hard. I, I think it probably has to do with this battle that we're on this planet um, till Jesus comes back. But it does help to know that if Jesus had to take special concerted measures to minister to special needs, then we shouldn't be surprised if we do too. And we shouldn't, certainly shouldn't try to go it alone. So, you know, if I can review, um, if you take anything away from this story, let it be first that God is so deeply invested in you. He has called you by name and invited you into his plans and purposes, and he will be there to engage you once more when you need another chance after a weak moment. Number two, God wants to unearth the deeper problem, the deeper hurt, not just the obvious victim, but also in the ones who care for them. And he honors the simple cry for help when those deeper, wider problems surface. And three, in the quest to bring about the fullest result, not the fastest, things can get a little messy and scary. And we should not be surprised um, nor vanquished by this, but reassured that the Son of God, too, also needed to persist with deep-rooted problems, and the Father gave him what he needed to succeed. So um, I just want to kind of end with a verse from 1 Corinthians 15, 58, whether you're struggling for, you know, your own health or for caring for someone else. Um, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's incredible. I love that. I think we've got, Peter and I got 
all kinds of questions for you, and this has been yeah. incredible teaching. This is exactly what I love in Sunburn series is we get the sun out and everybody gets in the sunshine and we learn something, and this is great teaching. I've got questions. I know Peter's got questions, but I think we'll take a short break. And when we come back, uh, we will give Rebecca those questions. If you want to learn more about Rebecca, you can go to her website, RebeccaRee.net. You can even sign up for her blog, which is uh, no charge, of course, and you can just enjoy uh, what she writes on a regular basis. It's her, her last name is spelled R-H-E-E, RebeccaRee.net. And uh, we will take a short break and be right back. If you uh, are not receiving the uh, daily email verse of the day, I encourage you to sign up for that verse of the day email at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be glad you did. Be right back. the show. Glad that Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are getting a chance to spend this Sunburnt Series Hour with Dr. Rebecca Ree. We've had a fantastic time of teaching so far on Mark Chapter 9, Help Me With My Unbelief. Really, really did a great job, Rebecca. And I also saw that uh, Toto pulled the curtain back a little bit, and you showed a little bit of your own vulnerability, which I appreciate, when you said, I only have so much I can give, and then I always get to that point. And I think that's all of us where why is it we're always taken to the to the extent of what we have? Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then why is it that we're always at that point? Mm. Is that a question you're actually posing? To well, me? and I'm just kind of I'm throwing it out there for either of you to jump on it. I mean, you know, some of us have you know ten marbles in the jar, and then we get all ten used up, and then we're at a point of complete exhaustion. And others have thirty marbles in the jar, and it takes them a lot longer to get to that point of exhaustion. Yeah, you know, some of it I have to say probably has to deal again with human biography. Like, what have our life stories been? You know, if you like me have suffered um, from childhood trauma, you might have um, your beginning point to learn how to trust God. Might um, you might need to go through a lot of uh, healing and work, uh, inner work, uh, to do that. And so um, you might, in the beginning, uh, come to the very end of your inner resources much more quickly than someone who say might have had parents that modeled God's uh, loving kindness and faithfully beautifully. And that trust comes more naturally. So some of it is just, you know, our own personal experiences and what, how much baggage we bring or don't bring or um, that, that plays a role. And then of course um, what we've been given um, in my case, I've been given a child with a, um, certain deficits that make, things like daily communication with him a lot more difficult. Um, it'd be so much easier in many respects if I could just ask him a question and have him, you know, respond. Um, so some of that is like what you're receiving, you know, not just what you've got, what you've been through in your past, but what's going on in your present. But um, it's also, uh, I don't know how to say this. I hope I, I'm not sounding um, uh, glib when I say this, but it also seems to me like how awake are you to your life? You know what I mean? Like how sensitive are you when you wake up in the morning and you kind of commit to the idea that I want to live today 
uh, spiritually sensitive to what's going on around me. And that might mean you engage and see pain that you might not have otherwise. You know, if you live your life on a very functional level, on a very, um, I just got this little checklist and I haven't actually checked out that checklist with God, but, you know, as long as I cross all these other things, I'm, I'm okay. Um, but sometimes, as Jesus did, he lived a very, he was very awake. <laughs> and um, so I think it was a, a harder path that he was, he, he, he was a man known for his, his, uh, his grief and sorrow. So some of that is, um, you know, being willing to share in the, in the fellowship of, of suffering with, with Jesus. So, um, but again, and then the, the, the bigger answer would be is we're caught in this not yet in between time when, you know, heaven and earth are still very much in conflict. And we live in an imperfect world where um, a lot goes on that is absolutely horrifying. And um, we just have to grapple with the fact that sometimes those, those the tentacles of the demons go in very, very deep. And the process of pulling them out completely will look like death itself. But thank God Jesus is there to raise us up at the end. Rebecca, when you talk about just being fully awake in life, too, and then you tie it maybe to something you said earlier that I took note of, which is that God is interested in the fullest result. Yeah. Um, when when we are willing to stay in that process for the long term, even when we don't understand maybe why God hasn't relieved the suffering or why God continues to take us on that path, does even some of the long term result of that fullest result mean that we start waking up to life in, in, in even a longer term kind of way? Yeah, I, I do believe so. And I think it's just like, you know, I think Paul somewhere, again, New Testament's not my strength, but I think Paul makes the analogy between an athlete and a person who's working on their faith, that the longer the athlete runs the race, the stronger their endurance becomes. Um, and so sometimes um, I think, I can't remember whether it was actually myself or somebody else I was praying through in college. There was a physical... Um, ailment that that was um, the problem and as I prayed for healing I felt like the Lord used the word tether and it was he was saying this at this moment this physical problem is with tethering you to me and if I were to take the pain away you'd be cut loose in a way that would be dangerous for you and I found that very interesting I was like tether I, well, I guess I, I want to be tethered. <laughs> and I think when we get to some certain points in life, we also understand that there's, there's things that are worse than pain. Because pain can bring, in, in God's hand, pain can bring incredible fruit, fruit that remains. I like to call it things of eternal value. You know, things that, um, the kind of thing that Mary got sitting at Jesus' feet. Whereas, you know, just, Asking for an easy road doesn't necessarily, um, although we could all use a break, and I think we all really need to work on taking those Sabbaths when we can. Um, I do think it's the times of struggle that um, probably form the, the, the gemstones in us. Hmm. I know that my son has, just as much as I have poured into me, poured into him by gathering all these resources of therapy and when all the things that we do for him to change him, he has changed my husband and me. He has changed us just as much. He has taught us to look forward and see the kingdom of God and expand our view of what the kingdom of God looks like and who is in the, the kingdom of God and how 
servants of the kingdom of God serve. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Rebecca, with, with that too, um, how would you encourage somebody that maybe really is praying earnestly for a change in their life spiritually or, or patience or the ability to, to be long-suffering, what, whatever it is, but they don't seem to be getting an answer in the time that they want to have that answer? Because it, it, it seems like it'd be difficult to continue to put yourself in the hands of the good shepherd, right? And even pray that prayer, help me in my unbelief. I, I want to yes. continue believing. It seems like that's what's part of this. Right. Well, you know, like I always often tell Jesus, um, I can't walk on water forever. <laughs> this, is not, this, is not, this is not the natural state of human beings. It's like I, I tell people why I hate to fly. You know, there's a reason why they tranquilize the animals in the cargo hold. This is not natural to be up 30 <laughs> And and so um, I think this is where the body of Christ becomes critical. If you try to do it on your own, you will come to the end of your strength very quickly. And you might get to the point where it over, you know, you get overcome by the storm and you sink, you go down. But the point is you have to have the body. This is where you bring in the help. This is where we say to ourselves, if Jesus had to make an, a concerted effort to get the miracle done, then we should not be surprised if we need to make concerted efforts and invite help into our lives um, to get the miracle done. And so that's where we, we need people who aren't in the midst of the storm to be there for us, to encourage us, to pull us up. Um, uh, I think Annie Lamott said somewhere, she said, um, my, my mind is like a dangerous neighborhood. I don't like to go in there alone. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's absolutely right. Um, um, the body of Christ and seeking the right um, professional help in my own life has been critical, critical, critical to me getting out of those potholes where I just thought, okay, this is it. This is where I'm, you know, this is the end of my story. Um, so yes, I would say getting outside help and having faithful people praying for you and listening to you um, is absolutely critical. Rebecca, one of the parts of this story, which causes a little bit of a stumbling block for me is the paradoxical phrasing of the um, man that says, I believe, help my unbelief. Yes. You know, it's pretty thought-provoking. Um, so he he says he believes, but at the same time, he needs help in overcoming unbelief. I think that's every person on planet Earth. Well, I think it's kind of like when Jesus looked at the, he was in the temple and he saw the widow come with her coppers, her little pennies. Mm-hmm. And she put in, and he, he's like, that's all that she had. And that, that matters more to God than, you know, all the the richer gifts. And I think there's something about the fact that he put his last dime down on the table. You know, he said, this is all I have, but I'm giving it to you. And I'm betting, I'm bet I'm betting on this. Um, I'm not going to just like drag my son away from this, from this situation in disgust. I'm actually rabbi. I'm I'm putting my last dime down on you. Um, And that's all Jesus needed. I love that. So good. So we can always ask for what we need, and then when we have doubts, I suppose we can ask for more faith, and let's not be wavering in our resolve to to follow um, what God is asking us and what we're asking God. Just be willing to obey and then um, ask for more faith if you need it. Right. And again, I don't think we should be naive about the struggle. Again, I, I just want to just emphasize that point. If the Son of God needed to make that concerted effort to get it done, 
then we should um, not have any illusions about the fact that it will take more than we have on our own Mm -hmm. to get it done. And so um, we need to get help and we need to go, go gently on ourselves and really respect the journey that we're on and be kind um, to ourselves. Because uh, I think being unkind and berating, I would never dream of berating my son for having, you know, a special for, for his deficits. He right. can't help that. Right. But I would never, but I, at the same time, I would never leave him there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, we want to just love on you as a mother who's got a very <laughs> full plate. I mean, you're a, a brilliant teacher and we love having you on the show, but you know, times like this, I'm reminded of what's on your plate. And I love just to take a time and a moment to just put grace and blessings into your life for your everyday work that you do with your son. Oh, well, thank you. He's, he's, uh, he's been a real, he's a very joyful child and, um, he injects joy into my life and definitely into my husband's life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank you so much for, uh, getting out of the old Testament and coming to the new and spending time <laughs> with us. That's all the time we have for this, uh, hour of the sunburn series. Our guest has been Dr. Rebecca Ree. Peter, it's been great. Thanks so much for, um, for being on the show as well. And and that wraps up our show for the day. It's been fabulous being with you. Thank you so much for my great guests and the time that you and I had together. I appreciate you and all you do. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. Have a great night, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.